So I'm just curious, how are those New Year's resolutions coming? Don't you think, like, this is the year where everybody just gave up? We're all just so tired, we just said, like, you know, maybe next year. <laughs> but I will say this, um, remember way back, New Year's 2020? I know it seems like forever ago, but it really was only two forgotten New Year's resolutions ago. But we were all so hopeful then, weren't we? In 2020, we still had so much to do, so full of hope and anticipation. Bless our little hearts. But there was so much that we wanted to accomplish in 2020, places to travel, fun to be had. We still thought we could have some political leverage or we wanted some social change or environmental justice. We didn't even yet know the joy of having decorator masks that we would wear around or, or the importance of stretchy pants working from home. And then, of course, 2021 came along, and we were, we were a little more hopeful. We were so over the pandemic by January of 21, we thought this would be our year, right? So we made New Year's resolutions, and we tentatively made plans for the rest of the year, and, and uh, we really wanted to avoid the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad Christmas season that was 2020. Remember, we couldn't go visit anybody. They recommended no travel, don't go home and see your beloveds, all of that. So we were so hopeful going into 21 that this was gonna be our year. We thought for sure the vaccines would let us move about the world. Well, this year, I think we're just like, whatever. Whatever. I mean, we've just lost our enthusiasm to show up and put in the effort, right? We see this everywhere. We don't dare put too much energy into hope. Even clothing stores know this. I went shopping the other day and I was amazed at how everyone is selling some version or another of loungewear. It's the new sort of work from home look. So I really do think that we just have all collectively said, I'm just going to stay in my pajamas until further notice. Who needs this, right? So this collective response of just whatever is really messing with our minds a little bit. Many of us, if not all of us, are in agreement that this is not the way things were supposed to go. This is not our plan A. This is as a friend of mine said recently, more like plan F or G, and there's still a whole lot of letters in the alphabet. <laughs> so we don't even know when to begin hoping and planning again. But I'm reminded that it's really hard to plan for a future when we feel like we've been cheated a little bit, isn't it? And we've all used that term so much in the past couple of years. I feel like I've been cheated. I do. I feel like I got cheated out of going to visit my sons who both lived abroad during the pandemic. Cheated out of our daughter's graduation from college, which should have been one of those, you know, final ceremonial celebrations. Feel like I was cheated out of my mom's 80th birthday party celebration. I could go on and on, and I know you could too. We don't have to name all of the ways that we feel we've been cheated. 
Now, I know that great things happened, too, during the pandemic. Marriages and babies and new homes and love. All of it was there for us because life does go on, of course. But there's also just been so much loss. And the hits keep coming. Every time a new mask mandate comes around, I think, well, this feels familiar. Been here before. So I say all of this because when I read from Nehemiah this morning, I think this is what the Israelites were feeling. And I feel a little solidarity with them. They gathered to hear a word from God, we were told in today's reading. You see, they had just returned to their homeland from being in exile. They had been in exile for two generations almost, years and years of not being able to be home. So the king of Persia had finally released them to go back to their homeland. And I think, my gosh, they must have been so filled with hope, filled with anticipation. So one of the first things they knew they had to do was organize themselves. The very first lines that Sherry read this morning from Nehemiah, we, uh, we, we hear, actually not the Sherry read this morning, this is from the very first chapter of Nehemiah. We hear that the Israelites who had survived the exile were in great trouble and disgrace. It tells us that Jerusalem was burning, which I just take to mean that they were so utterly confused about how to go about the world now, they didn't even know how to operate. So there was work to be done, and one of the first things they did was start assigning roles for people to help to rebuild the city, assigning people to care for the community as a whole. We're talking about thousands and thousands of people who had now come back together again. So they had to consider, where do we start? Where do we even begin? Who needs to be in charge? What do we do to manage all the various aspects of community life? as we reorder ourselves in this new normal. So they begin. And never mind that they didn't even have roofs up over their houses yet. They hadn't yet rustled up the olive branches to do a thatched roof even. But they said, hey, you know what? We are ready to party because the walls of the city were up. And that was enough to say to them, we need to gather together and celebrate again. And so it was the first day of the seventh month, we're told, the Jewish New Year. They gathered together, these people of God, and they said to Ezra on this New Year's Day, read to us, Ezra, from the book of the law. I can imagine they were thinking, we've been through so much. We're on the home stretch now. God is with us. All is right in the world. Read to us from the scroll, Ezra. Read to us a word of God. What does God have to say to us this day, this homecoming celebratory day, this day that we have made? I mean the day that the God has made. I can imagine them leaning in with excitement and anticipation. So Ezra begins to read. And we're told that Ezra was reading, standing in front of the water gate. And this is no small detail. 
I want to tell you why. The water gate was outside the temple area. Only certain people we know were allowed into the temple area itself. So if you were, for example, considered unclean in some way, you couldn't come into the temple area. These would be people who maybe in modern terms might feel excluded from the religious community for some reason. People who felt they couldn't gather with their brothers and sisters, maybe because of illness, sin, some other social or religious stigma. So Ezra standing outside the temple area at the water gate in full view and hearing of everyone had significant meaning. It was a small detail mentioned here in Nehemiah, but with huge implications. It allowed anyone and everyone present to hear the word of God. The next thing I think was really critical is that there was an explicit descriptor here in Nehemiah that both men and women were present. That's very intentional. Sometimes in the Hebrew language, the word men is intended to be non-gendered, like we might use the word humankind or even they. But here, the Hebrew language was clearly and unambiguously naming women. Ezra brought the law to the assembly to both men and women, the scripture says. And in fact, it goes on to say, and to all who could hear with understanding, which would include children of a certain age, probably about age 12. So we're building this picture of the word of God being presented with inclusivity to everyone. And then there's one more thing. Nehemiah points out that there were interpreters working their way amongst the people in the crowds. The Levites, who were the community leaders and the religious leaders who would have been helping the priest, Ezra, that day, were walking through the crowd of people to make sure that they could understand at their own level, individually, what the word of God meant for them and how they could apply it in their lives. This is all a powerful example of inclusion and concern for others. They go out of their way to tell us that men and women and children were all welcomed, that no one was excluded. They go out of their way to tell us that the priest went to the water gate in order to make sure that outsiders felt welcomed in. And they go out of their way to tell us that there were people on hand to help give understanding to God's word. The sense of belonging was huge. So the people are excited. They're ready. They were filled with hope and anticipation, as we've said. So they were expecting this to be a celebration of sorts, something to build them up, to continue to encourage them and help them continue rebuilding that forward movement building the shattered and broken bits of their lives. And they got, well, they got whatever the heck it was that Ezra read that brought them all to tears and weeping and mourning. We don't know which parts exactly of Torah were read that day to the people. I can think of a few things in Leviticus that might make me weep too. 
but we don't know what it was that was read to them. And so it leaves me wondering, and I, I wonder if upon hearing the word of God, the people simply recognized the cost of being human. Because the story of God's people is not always pretty, is it? There are plagues and wars and political infighting and community hardship. There's all manner of sin and strife in God's word. All throughout the Bible, we see people just trying to make sense of their lives. How are they going to govern themselves? What's acceptable moral behavior? How do we deal with disagreement and civil disorder? What do we do with people who live outside the water gate? This is pretty messy stuff. And it's all right here in Torah. So when the people asked Ezra to read from the book of the law of Moses, this is what they're going to hear. And it must have felt a little bit like a gut punch to them, an unwelcome reminder that if all of that, all of that worldly, messy, mundane, unpleasant stuff can happen to people of God. Well, then what are we doing trying to rebuild this city anyway? Have you ever noticed that sometimes we try to negotiate with God? We can be pretty tough on God, actually. Like, I'm trying to do everything right here, God, and I just don't think you're holding up your end of the bargain. About that plan A we've worked so hard on, God. Let's have a conversation about that, right? There was a time a few months ago where every single person that I knew was going through something hard. Maybe you feel that way still. I, I, everybody I knew had either lost a loved one or they were sick. They were going through a, a, a breakup of some sort. They were diagnosed with a terminal illness. They had deeply challenging family or work experiences. It was staggering to me. And when we're going through such challenging times like that, it can e be easy for us to think, how could God let this happen? After everything I've already been through, why me? Now this? How come everything shiny and good in the world seems tarnished and tossed aside for me? How come I didn't get the new job, the great spouse, the straight-A kids, the perfect health? Why me, God? What did I ever do to deserve this? Maybe, like us, the Israelites were expecting to hear the shiny parts of God's story, the parts where Everybody's thriving and happy because they're people of God. The parts that look good on the Instagram account. Maybe it was a great and collective sense of regret that they felt that made them mourn that day. What happened to our plan A? Why can't we get back on track? Just when we think we're moving forward, we're hit with something else. It's exhausting. Talk about making us want to shake our fists at God or cry. And then, too, hearing God's plans for us can also seem like a lot of responsibility. 
Just being reminded of all the ways that we've fallen short can be so deflating. The Apostle Paul wrote that all fall short of the glory of God. So we're in good company. But hearing that read aloud, all the ways that we have forgotten and turned away from God's laws, both our own sin and the sin of the whole world, the whole community that we live in, it's hard to hear. It's hard to imagine where to even begin to turn back. God alone knows what we truly grieve. So I rather think that God was speaking through Ezra that day as a parent speaks to a wounded child, saying, you have been through it, haven't you, dear ones? You have endured suffering and heartache, and you've traveled to dark places just like my people before you. I think God was saying to everyone with ears to hear, you have endured suffering and heartache just like my people before you. So may you hear in, your story, in their story your own. But what they heard was the story of the cost of being human and it caused them to weep and mourn. And Ezra, who loves and cares for these people, turns to them and says, wait, wait, stay right here. Stay with God. Hold on to what is true. And like all the people before you, you will find strength and joy. When we rise up from the rubble, we look back with sadness Course. How can we not? You don't soon forget the broken places, even after they've healed over. We may look back with regret, with loss, sadness, shame, but we don't live there anymore. We move forward with grit and resilience because we are people who have been through the darkness and are emerging into the light. Our faith is tenacious because our God is. God who became flesh and bones and walked among us. God who experienced life and love and friendships and loss. God who experienced betrayals and beatings, suffering, and death, and resurrection, and who we proclaim descended into hell itself. That God understands the cost, the real cost of being human, and has given us a great cloud of witnesses as our encouragement. Ezra says to them that day, don't weep, go, eat, drink, be joyful. And he says, here's the kicker. When you do, help the one for whom nothing has been provided. We have been provided so much. God knows the cost of being human. And he offers us strength in numbers 
strength in fellowship, in eating and drinking together, strength in reading and in understanding God's word, strength in knowing that we are more than our mistakes and our failures and our shortcomings and our sufferings. We might not be living our plan A, but God still has a plan. Despite the twists and turns on the journey, the whole wonderful, brutal life is our plan A. All is well. The Lord is our strength and our joy. Amen.